Inside Access with Jason Lacanfora and Ken Wyman. Sponsored by Stevenson University Online. 105.7 The Fan. Tim Barbalace is at the castle. He's uh, listening to Harbaugh and Calais Campbell. Mark Andrews, Lamar Jackson, and others. He'll be back around 5 o'clock. But uh, we'll talk some college football right now. And joining us, courtesy the Ashley Furniture guest hotline, is Danny Cannell. Danny comes courtesy of BetOnline or BetOnline.net. Uh, Danny, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate it. Let's start with a local team, and that's the Maryland Terrapins. I, I do want your overall assessment of Maryland. Uh, they lost to Purdue this past Saturday. It would have been a big game for them if they could have won it. But what do you think of them? And then, of course, they're 11-point favorites at Indiana this Saturday. What's up, fellas? Great to be on with you. Uh, I'm fired up for Mike Lockley's uh, Lockley squad. I tell you what, uh, Tua's younger brother, Talia, is playing outstanding football, and you could easily make a case that the Terps could be undefeated. Yeah. They played Michigan, who's a top-five team, as good as anybody, on the road, had them on the ropes late in that game, couldn't come out with a win, and then a little bit of a sloppy game against Purdue – you know, if you lose at home, that's a tough one to swallow. But still, sitting at four and two, I like the way the direction this program is headed. And I do think this is a game that they should be able to go in, cover that number. It's 11 and a half. It's pretty high. But I think Indiana, I thought they'd shot their load against Michigan last week. You know, they put it all out there. They were tied at halftime, then ended up giving it up late. Michigan had some distractions going on with their running back coach, having a health scare, that kind of uh, probably was a little bit misleading as final as the final outcome of that game. Indiana is really struggling. Yeah. So I actually like the Terps to go uh, on the road and get the number and cover. Uh, we've also got Navy at SMU. That's been hanging around 13. Uh, Midshipmen sort of got things going last week. And SMU, we saw them here against Maryland at College Park a few weeks ago. They obviously can chuck it around a little bit and have uh, a special wide receiver. Can, can Navy keep this close? Navy can keep any game close, Jason. I mean, it's just by design. They always want to slow down the game. Yep. They want to run that triple option, and they want to try to play keep away. And they better play keep away against this SMU team because they are high-powered. They've got a ton of offensive weapons. And then you've got Navy, who, of course, is playing a little bit better, and they've opened things up a little bit, but they're still going to ground and pound you on the ground. Uh, Ty Lavatai, their quarterback, got banged up a little bit last week. So I'll actually I'll say SMU is going to be a little bit too much firepower uh, for the midshipmen this week. It's been a nice year, you know. I, I look at Navy and I watch what's happening there with um, Ken Niamatololo, who I think is one of the best coaches in the game. It's just it's kind of always you have to time things up right with your classes. I mean, mm. it's, you know, the academic restrictions, the, uh, the the ability for guys to have to go serve terms overseas in the summer. You really it's a developmental program where everything has to come together at the right time. And I think they're just kind of struggling to get everything lined up on the same page. But ultimately, I think SMU is going to be too much on this uh, Navy team. So I'll go ahead and take SMU and lay the points with the uh, favorites there. Danny, we got one of the best slates of the year so far coming up this weekend. Let's take a look at some of those games and start with Alabama at undefeated Tennessee. Where, what do you like here? Oh, I love this game. First of all, it's a, great, a game of great quarterback play. We all know about Bryce Young, the quarterback from Alabama, who I do think is going to play. He mm-hmm. sat out last week. I think that was more precautionary. He had a slight AC separation. I think you'll see him on the, game, on the field this weekend. And I think the line tells you that with Bama being a seven-point favorite. 
But on the other side, there's a quarterback you may not know about. His name is Hendon Hooker. Last season, he had 31 touchdowns, three interceptions, and he has picked up right where he left off, playing pretty close to perfection for Josh Heupel. And it's kind of a, a clash of two opposing forces. Tennessee comes in with a ton of momentum. They flayed some of their dragons. They got past Florida, who was a team they were 1-16 against the past 17 years. They were able to win against them convincingly. Then they go on the road, and they beat LSU, an SEC West opponent, absolutely spanked them in Baton Rouge, 40-13. to And then you've got Bama, who kind of comes limping in this game, figuratively and literally, because they were a shell of themselves without Bryce Young playing with their backup, Jalen Milrow. They were on the ropes, almost lost that game against Texas A&M at home. They almost got beat on the road uh, there at Austin against Texas, and Texas lost their starting quarterback. So you've got these two opposing forces. I think this is one of the tightest numbers that are out there, though. I really have a hard time with this one. I think if it gets over 7.5, I think you take Tennessee as the underdog, the home dog. I do think they keep it within the number. But ultimately, as far as who wins this game, I think you have to rely on the best quarterback in the country in Bryce Young, the best coach of this generation in Nick Saban, and then the best defensive player in the country is Will Anderson Jr., who plays for the Crimson Tide. So home atmosphere is going to be absolutely insane there in Knoxville. I think Bam will win the game, but I like Tennessee to cover. Well, you, you mentioned Danny, uh, Michigan playing with a little bit of fire. We know, obviously, they could have lost to the Terps. They don't, you know, don't put Indiana away as quickly as some thought. Now they get a pretty tough Penn State team coming there to uh, the big house. What do you see here? I love this matchup, Jason. There's so many good matchups. You know, this is just one of them. It's at noon on Fox. It's a tight line around a touchdown. Most of these games kind of are in this position. And Blake Corum, the running back for Michigan, has been absolutely toting the rock for Jim Harbaugh. That's what he wants to do. Um, it just it doesn't matter who's playing quarterback. He wants to run the football. He's averaging 122 yards a game, but now he's got to go up against the Penn State uh, Nittany Lions defense, who is leading or second in the conference right now, allowing just 79 yards a game, which is going to put more pressure on the pass game for Michigan. JJ McCarthy has taken over the starting job from the quarterback last year, who took them to the playoff. You know they beat Ohio State. They went they. They won the Big Ten. They go to the Orange Bowl, and they lose to Georgia. But the quarterback that took them there, he gets benched in the you know, second game of the season. Jim Harbaugh says, I want more, and this is the game where J.J. McCarthy has to provide more in this circumstance. On the flip side, you've got a Penn State team who loves this matchup because this is going to be an old-school mm-hmm. Big Ten smash-mouth type of play. Both teams kind of ramming into each other, trying to force the run game. But they do have a veteran quarterback in Sean Clifford who's been there for six years at Penn State. I think he'll keep this one close. So I actually like Penn State and the points in this one. There's been so much parity across college football. I think this is a fourth-quarter game all day long. That's too big a number for me. So I'll take the Penn State Nittany Lions here playing on the road in Ann Arbor with that veteran experience at quarterback. Talking to Danny Canales inside access here on the fan. Uh, let's get at least one more a Pac-12 game. USC at Utah. USC undefeated. What do you like here? Oh, I, I love this matchup, too. You know, USC was the talk of the offseason. Lincoln Riley leaves Oklahoma. Nobody leaves Oklahoma, right? <laughs> but he goes and gets some massive payday out in L.A., and it's shiny new cars and new toys going around for everybody with the NIL era. He brings his quarterback, Caleb Williams, with him. They get Travis Dye, an incredible running back from Oregon. Mm-hmm. They crush the transfer portal, and they are off and running. 
The only thing that I question with uh, USC is they haven't really been tested the way they are going to be in Salt Lake City. Rice Eccles, the crowd's going to be loud. The altitude does play a factor in this game. It will be a little bit harder to breathe. But I think this game is about who's been tested more. Utah, to me, is battle-tested, where USC schedule a little bit light on the front end, and it all comes to a stop here. I actually like Utah to win this game. They got beat last week against UCLA, but I thought that was more about UCLA being the favorite to win the Pac-12 with an incredible quarterback of their own and a Chip Kelly squad that's playing with a lot of, uh, a lot of physicality. I think this is USC's step-back moment where they lose a game, and then you try to test and see – what exactly this team is. Are they true Pac-12 champion contenders or are they a year away, which is what I thought coming into the season. They've been ahead of schedule, but I still think once you get to the meat of their schedule, they'll come back to reality a little bit. Danny, one last thing before we let you run. Is it too early to to find a Heisman front runner? If there is one, who in your mind is the the Heisman winner right now? Oh, it's easy to see who the front runner is. It's C.J. Stroud, the quarterback at Ohio State. I mean, they, they, to me, are the number one team in the country, but the value just isn't there. Bet Online has them at five to seven. It's not, you know, it's not, yeah. I don't ever like taking the favorite in the Heisman because there's only one way to go. You have one bad game. When I say bad game, like a, a two-interception game, and you're plummeting down, I think the place to get out in front of right now is one of two guys that have massive games this weekend. Hendon Hooker for Tennessee, who I don't think has to beat Bama, but if he puts up big numbers and has a good performance and even a close game that they lose, or if they win, I think he jumps to the top of the Heisman conversation. And then the other one is Blake Corm, the running back from Michigan. We talked about that Penn State game, going against that Penn State defense. I don't know if he does, but if he does, grab him at 20-1 to because he'll see a healthy dose. And if he goes off for 150 and a few touchdowns, I think that could be the recipe for Blake Corm. A little bit of a long shot there at 20-1 to to provide some value for you. So, yeah, it's still early. But the fun thing about this Heisman Trophy race, it is absolutely wide open right now. Danny, this was fun. Hey, one more thing. It's not a sports question, but it's a question we ask every guest that joins the show for the first time. Help settle debate between Jason and I. Are you a bar soap or body wash person? You know, that's interesting. I used to be, growing up, I was a bar uh, soap guy. You know, yeah. just a simple kid growing up. My uh, mom would put, you know, a little bar of ivory soap in the, in the shower. That's all you need, it. Danny. That's all you need. But, but <laughs> when I got to the NFL and hit the big time, guess what I noticed? A lot of guys in the locker room had that liquid soap. Yep. So now... I've become more of a uh, of a liquid soap guy. You know, now I use a little loofah. Yep. To get a little nice little yep. lather going. Yep. It, it exfoliates the skin. Yes. Yeah. So you I've evolved. Come around to the, I've come around to the finer things as I've gotten older in life. Well, you evolved, Danny. You're a smart man. Hey, thank you so much <laughs> Thanks, for your time. Man. We appreciate it. <laughs> you got it, Ken. Have a good one, Dave. See you, Inside Access. We'll go Northern Exposure next. And we'll, we always like hearing from Mike Tomlin. Oh, yeah. Uh, but he's got some doozies this week. You want to hear what Mike Tomlin has to say next here on the fan inside access on the fan northern exposure on inside access sponsored by plaza ford see why customers have trusted plaza ford for more than 85 years get quality vehicles and superior service at plaza ford bel-air road in bel-air or online at plazaford.com jason lockenfora and ken wyman traverse the afc north 1057 I remain open to it, but I don't intend to change for the sake of changing, to shoot a hostage, if you will, or anything of that nature. Um, if changes produce better outcomes or seemingly produce better outcomes, or we feel like it puts us in position 
to produce better outcomes, then I'm open to it, certainly. He doesn't want to shoot hostages, Jason. Ooh. I just tell me what you you got out of that because I, and I love listening to Mike Thomas. Well, this is he's being pressed on your offense Matt stinks, Canada. your defense stinks. What are, what's up with your coordinators? What's up with your scheme? What's up with the people you know who you delegate responsibilities to throughout your coaching staff to get the job done? And he's yeah. Look, I, I go on the radio there every Monday morning um, on our uh, Odyssey affiliate in Pittsburgh and. <laughs> I mean, the questions I'm like they one of the guys asked me, like, how would you like how much better do you think Belichick is at this stage without Brady than Tomlin is without Roethlisberger? I'm like, it's been five games, guys. Yeah. Like, I don't I mean, like, yeah. you know, and, and I don't know how good the other like infinite number of Matt Canada questions. Like, oh, they hate they, him. They don't like. There is a segment up there that just doesn't understand how historic this Tomlin run has been and they kind of want to discredit it and now they're they're trying to say well he's not going to be able to win without Ben well let's let's give it more than a month um but they've got they do have big issues on both sides of the ball he is someone Tomlin who tends to be very loyal to his guys um and I, I would be surprised if he made a move in season but certainly Matt Canada in particular um, if 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 they don't show signs of life, if Kenny Pickett doesn't look better in December and January than he does right now, and I have belief that he will, you know, then that might be someone who Tomlin has a tough time keeping. But they're getting Pickett involved. They're pushing the ball downfield a little bit more. Um, I'm sorry, not they're getting Pickens involved yeah. since they've gone to Pickett. Uh, the offensive line they believe is taking a little bit of an uptick. So we'll see, but that's just some quintessential Mike Tomlin right there. More from Tomlin. If will he change some starters on defense if he has to? Absolutely, man. You play like we played today, man. You got to be open to doing whatever's required to change the the outcome of these games, and so that's a given. Um, I don't think anybody's going to be surprised by our willingness to turn over whatever stone to change the outcome of games like transpired today. That's just appropriate. Fresh in his mind after getting blown out by the Buffalo Bills, Jason. The problem there, though, GG, is like that. It's not like that's the the deepest roster mm-hmm. in the league by any stretch of the imagination. And the reality for the Pittsburgh Steelers is they, that defense has played eight games without TJ Watt since he got there. They're zero and eight. They only get one point four sacks per game without him, and they allow twenty seven points per game without him. They've got big problems. Um, you know, week one, they got the five turnovers that allowed them to stay in a game with Cincinnati. It, it They haven't been nearly as opportunistic since then, and the season's taken a turn for the worse. But I'll just say this. I compared their numbers to the Ravens defensively. Uh-huh. It's a hell of a lot closer than most people would want to think. Yeah, but the Ravens don't have a TJ. Well, TJ Watt's hurt. Don't have TJ Watt, they yeah. don't have a uh, Cam Hayward. They, 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 okay, well, I mean Cam Hayward. They don't like have a Minka Fitzpatrick. 14. Well, they got a sixteen million dollar free safety. He's currently mean, hurt. He just got hurt. Yeah, he's played. They played, but they've, they've he's missed what two quarters out of the twenty that they've played. The guy on the opposite side of Watt, I think, leads the NFL in sacks. Highsmith. Yeah. So they they got. I'd say they got more players. Now that's on the on the Ravens, not on. I mean, I, I mean, okay, well, like, what would you would you rather have right now, uh, Oway or Highsmith? Highsmith's leading the league in sacks without T.J. Watt. 
But I, I'm just saying there's a lot of people here who are like, my God, oh, yeah. the Ravens' defense might have turned the corner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They didn't give up a ton of yards and points to the Bills. They didn't give up a ton of yards and points to the Bengals. Well, uh-huh. they're 28th in the league in yards. They're allowing 398 yards per game. Yeah. I mean, Pittsburgh's worse, 417. But, I mean, yards per play, Pittsburgh's 24th. The Ravens are 27th. The Ravens are worse. Ravens are allowing six yards per play on defense. Again, 27th in the league. Yards per carry. Everybody's saying Pittsburgh can't stop the run. Well, they're 14th. The Ravens are 26th. The Ravens are allowing five yards per carry. Passing yards per attempt. Pittsburgh, 7.49, 27th. I mean, the Ravens, 6.8, 20th. They have identical sack percentages. Ravens allow more first downs per game than the Steelers. Pittsburgh's much worse on third down than the Ravens. But Pittsburgh's 12th in the league in red zone defense. GG, the Ravens are 27th in the league in red zone defense. Nah, you, teams get in the red zone, they usually get in the end zone. 70.6%. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, again, I just think it's interesting because I'm, I'm doing this research because it's like, wow, the Steelers got gutted by Buffalo. And wow, the Steelers' defense looks worse than it's ever looked. And all that is accurate. But it's... <laughs> A lot of the metrics are very similar to yeah, what the yeah. Ravens are doing. Yeah. And I feel like there's people kind of like doing victory laps saying they figured it out. Well. And it's improving. It's improving. But. You still. Well, here's the problem. There's issues. You still got the Miami game. And, and the Miami game factors in the year stats. And they were sure. bad. And that that's going to hurt. Now, as, as the year goes on, assuming the defense plays to a similar level against the Giants. And then if the following week, then those, those numbers will go down. But how much was Marcus Williams of course. and his presence affecting the takeaways? Sure. And the takeaways was keeping teams off the field. Sure. And now if the defense is on the field more because you're not as opportunistic, then the flip side of that would be, okay, well, then we got T-Bone at the castle now. Well, wait a minute. If Bowser plays this week and Ajabo's back two or three weeks after that, then now can they actually get more pressure with four because there's more of a rotation. It's deeper. They're not playing away 85% of the snaps. Yeah. All that could be true, and that's the ebbs and flows of a season. But at this moment in time, these defense are these defenses are pretty damn similar, and it's uh, not great. Agreed. Hey, coming up next, we're going to go behind enemy lines. Pat Leonard covers the Giants for the New York Daily News. We'll get his thoughts on how Wink is going to slow down Lamar Jackson next here on The Fan. Inside Access. Side access to breaking news. Jason Lacanfora and Ken Wyman. 1057 The Fan. Ravens and Giants this Sunday as the Ravens reacquaint themselves with their former defensive coordinator, now the Giants. Defensive coordinator Wink Martindale. Also, Jihad Ward on that team used to be a Raven. Let's go behind enemy lines and talk some Giants with Pat Leonard, who covers the Giants for the New York New York Daily News. He joins us courtesy of the Ashley Furniture Guest Hotline. And Pat, good afternoon. Thank you so much for joining us. Let me start with this because I don't know that people in Baltimore understand how bad I guess it got with Gettleman down the down the stretch there. I was reading a, a quote on Twitter from Landon Collins saying it wasn't a Giants thing; it was a Gettleman thing. Like, how bad was it at the end? Uh, well, it, it wasn't even necessarily with Landon that, um, you know, Dave Gettleman obviously paying a safety big money. You could make the case that it's the right move at that time for him not to do it. But 
was more about how Gettleman and that front office and the Giants at the time were handling those decisions. And so it was more about a lack of respect from Collins' end for how he was treated and kind of sent packing rather than any kind of business decision. Because it, you know, I think players like Landon and other guys who have been sent packing from different teams, they know it's a business. It's just about how you handle it. So it was ugly. Um, it's been ugly around here a long time, which is kind of why <laughs> – it's so welcome and so refreshing for the fans and the team right now that the team is actually getting some results and there's some good feeling around here. Well, I mean, how different is this? I mean, Joe Judge seemed to be so caught up in flexing his muscles and proving um, that he was worthy of the job and, and power plays. You know, whereas Dable and Joe Shane come from this Buffalo thing that was kind of like selfless and, you know, not everybody caught up in necessarily um, – you know, getting credit for this or that, but just actually going about the business of taking a broken franchise and fixing it. This, I know it's early, but this feels like that to me. Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't totally agree with the judge characterization. I actually think of one of the main differences is judge was hired, but was he inherited Gettleman as his GM and also essentially inherited the offensive coordinator that the organization wanted, right, Garrett. Jason Garrett. Um, and on a new staff. And I think that you have two major differences now with Dable here is he has a GM who, as you just said, like they have alignment, they come from the same place, they've already worked together before. And Mike Kafka as the offensive coordinator, he's calling the plays, Dable obviously helping as a former OC with the game plan. But that has been a huge difference. Uh, you know, Martindale is a great coach and the defense is the reason really that they're in all these games. But Kafka and Dable's offensive creativity and the alignment of what kind of personnel they can use to get that stuff done, I think so far is the difference. Because really, Dable's public persona is more of like a friendly player's first guy compared to what the public perception of Judge was. But they're actually very similar in how they approach it. I mean, listen, you work under Bill Belichick for you know yeah. decades. I mean, you're a Belichick guy, so... There's not a ton of difference in how they operate like that behind the scenes. It's just more about what people see on the outside on Sundays. Talking to Pat Leonard, Inside Access here on The Fan. You mentioned Wink, so early returns have to be good. They're 4-1. The defense is making plays. We we've enjoy, we enjoyed Wink Martindale for years here, but he took the fall for this thing falling apart at the end last year. Your thoughts on yeah. Wink? Yeah, um, you know, it's, he's interesting. He's imposing when he's kind of walking towards <laughs> you in the hallway, right? Yeah. Um, and he's a little – he's way nicer of a guy than he – he looks like, you know, someone you'd meet on the football field who would who would knock your helmet off. Um, <laughs> and that's how his defense plays, obviously, with an edge. They're tackling really, really well. You guys know, everybody in Baltimore knows the amount of pressure that he sends yep. blitzes on the quarterback. Um, but it's it's been more than that. The whole team, the whole coaching staff, including Wink, their halftime adjustments, even if the first half hasn't gone the way they wanted to, has just really given the team an edge. Um, you know, he makes no secret that he feels like he's overdue a head coaching opportunity. So I think he's put his best forward foot forward so far with the Giants. So far, we have not been able to get any personal anecdotes or you know <laughs> this game means more to wink right. out of any of the players we talked to him on thursday though so um hopefully we'll get some of that out of wink well on the other side of the ball i i was breaking down their touches and stuff and scrimmage yards last night 
And Pat, it blew my mind in the year of 2022 that we're looking at an NFL team that has a running back with 115 touches, then a quarterback next with 41, and nobody else on the team through five weeks of NFL regular season football has even 20 touches. We've got a situation where Jones and the running back have 906 scrimmage yards, and the rest of the team doesn't have 850. It, it, I'm never, I'm never. I mean, this must be like what late 1960s NFL football felt like. Those are great stats, and that's perfectly emblematic of what they are and what they have to be. And the funniest part about it is Dable obviously made his name as a guy yes. who hated running the ball in Buffalo. Yes. <laughs> and, and so Kafka comes from Kansas City with Andy Reid, who is famous for throwing and not running the ball. So it's, that's the other thing. But that's, that's the good sign for the Giants is that they have a coaching staff who looked at the roster – and Dable actually talked about that today. You know, you come here and you say in your head, you have a vision for what the offense is going to look like. Then you look at your personnel and you say, well, this isn't going to work, but we think this will. And so that's good coaching. You know, they don't have a great roster here. You know, I think you don't think it's a secret. But no. They're using what they have and they're getting creative. And like I said, too, and this will be something to watch on Sunday against Baltimore. No matter how well the Ravens play in the first half, the key to this game based on how the Giants have operated, is the second-half adjustments because the Giants have been a leg up on four of their five opponents there due to their coaches. Pat, I want to get back to Wink, and he's a guy that probably knows Lamar Jackson as well or better than anyone because we were talking earlier during training camp, he they practice, he's probably imagining, what, how am I going to stop this guy if I actually had to win a game? So now he has that task on Sunday. Uh, does, he, does he have the guys on defense to get it done? Yeah, you know what? In the secondary, it's a question mark. Like, you know, Lamar will have a chance to make some big plays. I personally think, I know Wink will still send some pressure, but you have to think he's going to be extra sensitive to sending it in a calculated and controlled way because he knows how badly they will get burned if they run out of control upfield after Lamar. Like I was talking to Jihad Ward today. Um, he said tackling Lamar is so challenging because, like, if you don't actually grab onto him and you think that you're going to be able to tackle him like a normal player, you know, he doesn't move like a normal guy, and so he's going to make you pay for it. Um, with Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears, obviously not the same player as Lamar at all, but a guy who has a good, uh, good legs, uses his legs often, and he did scamper out and get out of the pocket for some good gains against the Giants. Um, you know, I think Wink... What he's going to do is he's going to build up Lamar to be the second coming. Like in week one, he told us that Derrick Henry was the modern-day Jim Brown. <laughs> you know, he's going to tell his defense just how good and great Lamar is, and he's going to make sure they fear him and understand that he's the reason they're going to win or lose this game, how they handle him. You think they're able to ship Tony or Galladay or some of the dead weight they inherited out by the deadline? No, I think that would be difficult. I mean, if anything, maybe a guy like Slayton, who they were trying to move before, now that he's making some plays with opportunities, could be a guy that they move. But, you know, they need someone who can play for them first, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, like Tony, you know, both hamstrings are injured. Uh, Galladay is knee. And frankly, you know, when they were trying to move Tony in the spring, I mean, teams knew he wasn't reliable and there right. was a reason why they were doing it. So uh, Joe Shane is, as he continually says, open for business. Uh, but so far, the pieces they would like to move are guys that are just kind of no-goes for teams around the league. 
Pat, last thing, uh, you've the five weeks, they're four and one. Do you have a handle on how good this team is? Who, uh, you know, I'll say this, uh, you know, th- their expectations coming into the season was that it was going to be a rough year. And I still think their roster bears out and they're one of the most injured teams in the league too. I know Baltimore is as well. So it's hard to imagine it's sustainable. That said, they are in every game yeah. deep into the third quarter, early fourth quarter. So it's hard to lose a ton of games if, you, if you're always in these games that end up being coin flips. Like they look at the beginning of the year like they could end up with a top five pick, but they are profiling right now as a team that could even reach 500 uh, just because they are coaching games to stay in them and then giving the players the opportunity to go win it at the end. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting here saying playoffs and not, I'm not here, sitting here saying the Giants have already turned it around, uh, but they are much better and more competitive regularly on a consistent and weekly basis than was expected. Pat, one last thing for you. It's not a sports question, but it's a question we ask every guest that joins the show for the first time, help settle a debate between Jason and I. Simply, are you a bar soap or body wash person? Uh, body wash. Oh. Big yeah. day for body wash. Yeah, it is. Here. Jason's a dinosaur. He's still using a bar of soap. Well, you can't <laughs> can't be perfect. Hey, Pat, this was great. Thank you so thanks much. Thanks so time. much. Yeah, thanks for having me. Take care. Appreciate it. Hey, we'll come back. We talked about this earlier in the show, and we'll get back to it now. The wide receiver situation for the Ravens. Is it time for Eric DaCosta to be looking around the National Football League and maybe trying to get some help for Lamar Jackson? We'll give you our answer next here on The Fan. Inside Access. Your front row seat to all Baltimore sports. Inside access with Jason Lacanfora and Ken Wyman. 1057 The Fan. Cruising down the ab with my homeboy Boo. Laying back like Jack Mellow went to the groove. The greatest man alive was cold rock in my world. Been a rock and roll. Ravens coming off a win against Cincinnati of the Giants this Sunday. Three and two. First place in the division. But when you look at the wide receiving core, and Rashad Bateman did not play this past week, did not practice today. So trending in a bad direction as we head into this game Sunday. Devin Duvernay looks like a, a contributor. Beyond that, at the wide receiver position, Tylen Wallace, James Prochet, Demarcus Robinson, like there, there's not a whole lot of there there. Mark Andrews obviously is a big time contributor as a well, receiver, look, but he's tight we're, end. We're also seeing a whole lot more Josh Oliver than anybody probably yeah. expected, or frankly, I expect want, to make the team. Would want right, and and anything can happen on any given Sunday. But if you looked at the body of work, and for some of these guys, it's smaller than others. But if you looked at the body of work of likely and Oliver and Prochet and and Wallace and Robinson. Is there reason to believe that any of those guys can be an impact player for the Ravens in the in the next in the the, the next? Let's say Bateman misses another game or two. You know what I mean? Is there any reason to expect in a non Rashad Bateman Ravens universe that any of those guys step up and make a significant impact? That becomes someone who can take advantage of the fact that there's only that the other team knows there's only one or two guys you got to take away in the past game. Can these guys still? Step up in that scenario. Uh, I don't have the confidence in that. I don't know how anyone could have the confidence in that. Like, like is there any reason to believe that this is going to be the Prochet breakout game or the likely breakout game? No. No, we could. I'd love to see it. I'm not saying it's impossible, but I'm not 
confident that that's going to happen. This is if Bateman can't play Sunday, it's going to be Andrews and Duvernay with little little bit of sprinkled into the other guys. And even when Bateman comes back, now and I know you were ready to proclaim him greatest season by a Ravens receiver ever. Yeah, injuries. but even when he comes back. Even you, president of the fan club, I suspect has some would take a step back, would have a little pause as to how much to think he's going to impact games on a week after week after week basis, right? Because we haven't seen that from him. No, we haven't. I'm like the what was it? The Buffalo game he got hurt in, and it looked like a lot of fo- lack of focus at times before the injury. A couple drops, mm-hmm. but I still have confidence that that guy can play. But yeah, he's shown me some some reason to be. A little uh, cautious as we move forward. But I still have confidence in Rashad Bateman. Hopefully he's he's healthy. Knock on wood, he gets healthy, stays healthy. Well, we talked to Pat Leonard a little bit there at the end of the interview about some of the, the I guess, the fat that the Giants would like to trim mm. off their roster. And I don't, I don't, I wouldn't want any parts of Kenny Galladay or Kadarius no. Tony, but I know they would love to peddle those contracts if they could. Darius Slayton's interesting. Yeah, I mean, what is your level of... Uh, Aware, I guess, what's your level of panic's too strong of a word, but I guess your level of concern about this and how much of it do you think should be a priority for Mr. EDC in the next couple of weeks before the trade deadline passes? Well, I think it should be a huge priority. And, and like here, and I, I want to think best case scenario, okay? So Bateman's healthy, Duvernay's there, Andrews is there. You get him another guy to throw the ball to, you make the defense have to think about another guy. I think that makes the team that much harder to defend, and and so I would shoot for the stars. You have cost certainty because they because the Panthers just extended DJ Moore, so what he's got three years. You've, you've got cost certainty. They don't want to pay. Uh, what did we say all the time? I, I right? They never paid a receiver more than eight million bucks uh, a year. Well, but you know what? Was that Crabtree? I think. Yeah, yeah. Crab, Crabtree's the one. But you know what? At some point, you're going to have to do it. Like this is a passing league, and if we want, like Lamar, obviously is a different athlete than anyone else. But if you want to have this offense be as good as possible, he needs another weapon. And could you imagine an offense if it's got Bateman on one side, DJ Moore, maybe Duvernay in the slot, and, and then you've got Andrews? Like, now you've got a bunch of people you have to pay attention to. Now, do I think they're going to go get DJ Moore? I don't. They're not getting DJ Moore. No, but I think they should make a call. And I think they, like, all this stuff about stockpiling draft picks to take a bunch of guys that did not, I'd rather, like, is DJ Moore, to me, worth a second-round pick? I say yes. I think he's going to cost more than a second-round pick. He may, but... Uh, but the price of receivers has soared the last six months. Sure it has. Uh, but what, what did, uh, I know that um, uh, the Orioles, I see Orioles, the Ravens got a one for, uh, for um, Hollywood, Hollywood Brown. So, yeah, maybe it is. And a that one. was without cost certainty. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. And Hollywood Brown ain't as good as DJ Moore. No, he's not. So maybe it costs more. Yeah. I do think they can. They they should be making a call to talk about it because they need a weapon. Do you think they need a weapon? I think they need <laughs> – I, I thought they needed a weapon before the season started. But I think you have to still look at the context of the offense and, and what they really need it to be. Um, I I've been saying forever they need a second legitimate move tight end, mm. and and you can hope that a fourth round pick doesn't have a steep learning curve. A fourth round pick who's really a wide receiver and not a tight end at this level, but he could be like, a move tight end. You, well, you could hope, but like you know, there's also the ability to go and get somebody who's done it before, 
who's better than Josh Oliver? You know, like there's a wide swath there that they 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 could have explored, and they refused to do it. I think that for me is even more important than the other outside wide receiver. Um, I mean, look, can they go get just someone with pure speed, like like a Brashad Perryman type? Uh, they're not bringing him back. But I'm just saying someone like but, well, yeah. because they're not that. But that's the type of move they would make. Yeah, someone go- with that speed profile who was a failed former draft mm-hmm. first round pick somewhere else who still could maybe latch onto a deep ball here or there. Bar- who's not making any money, Bargain and we don't basement. have to trade a whole lot to get him. Bargain right? That's shopping. the profile yeah, yeah. that they're looking for. Maybe like trade- you could say a Robbie Anderson. I think he comes with a lot of baggage. I think he comes with with. I just don't know about that personality. Uh, fit how about here. trading what with Evan Ingram from Jacksonville? What he's on a one year deal. There's your move tight end. Type. Yeah, right, right. He's he not on the field. Right, but he he's not a he's not the speed guy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I think it's something they should probably explore I just wouldn't set my hopes particularly high that they get an impact and I think the one thing what we could also all agree on is like don't try another Des Bryant like none of like yeah, you no. got to get somebody who's been playing football who like has been in camps has even if it's somebody off somebody else's practice squad somebody with a speed profile who's caught some balls in the league who is better than Robinson yeah it's a, a real guy a real guy, not this Des Bryant. Well, maybe a potentially real guy. Yeah, but like a guy that that actually has a pulse. Not a, not a science experiment. Yeah, no, I completely agree. We do have a poll up at IA one hundred five seven. The fan polls are brought to you by Ortho Maryland. It says the trade deadline is just a few weeks away in the NFL. Once again, there are questions being asked about the Ravens' collection of pass catchers. So we ask you, Ravens flock, do they need a proven tight end or proven wide receiver or move tight end? Your two choices are will be will be okay or go get one ASAP. Right now, over 200 votes already. This poll just went up a little over an hour ago. Uh, 59.2% go get one ASAP. 40.8% will be okay. Yeah, I. my suspicion is people start clamoring for a wide receiver. Yeah, it's, well, we're, it's... That Wouldn't tra- be the first time. No, it's, well, it's been a tradition here in Baltimore. Yes. Hey, coming up next... It's a Wednesday, and what are Wednesdays without our guy Ray Rice, former Ravens running back? What does he think of this Ravens run game, Lamar Jackson Sunday night, and this matchup against the Giants and former D.C. Wink Martindale? We'll ask Ray next here on The Fan. Inside Access. Why? Why? If you have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Celebrate and save at Ashley's anniversary sale. With Hot Buys, your choice of color starting at just $3.99. Ashley Sleep mattresses starting at $2.50. Plus, receive a free adjustable base with select mattress purchases. And shop top mattress brands like Stearns & Foster, Tempur-Pedic, Purple, and Beautyrest Black with 60-month special financing only at Ashley. Subject to credit approval. No minimum purchase required. Minimum monthly payment, down payment, tax, and delivery may be required. See store for details.